section thirty nine of the mysteries of london volume three this is a librivox recording all librivox recordings are in the public domain for more information or to volunteer please visit librivox dot org recorded by celine major the mysteries of london volume three by george w m reynolds section thirty nine the history of jacob smith part two he now conducted me to castle street long acre and putting sixpence into my hand pointed to a particular house go and knock at that door he said and ask for a bed you will have to pay two pence for it the four pence left is to buy your breakfast in the morning which the woman of the house will give you for that money if the people you meet there ask you any questions say as little as possible and don't speak a word about me if you do i shall be sure to know it and i will never see you again be a good boy and at nine o'clock to-morrow morning meet me at the corner of this street i promised to mind all he told me and he hurried away while i gained admittance into one of those filthy lodging-houses that swarm in castle street note twelve at this place where i procured the half of a bed my companion being a young girl of thirteen who had already been a prostitute eighteen months i received further lessons in the school of vice in the morning i obtained a cup of coffee and a couple of rounds of thick bread and butter for my fourpence having disposed of which i hastened to my appointment with old death he was waiting for me at the corner of the street and asked me a great many questions about the people i had seen at the lodging-house i satisfied him as far as i could but through some lingering feeling of shame i did not tell him that a prostitute had been my bedfellow he desired me to follow him at a considerable distance but to mind and not lose sight of him he then led me for a long walk all about the west end of london proceeding slowly so that i might have an opportunity of looking at the shops and obtaining some knowledge of the position of the different streets in a word that i might be able to find my way about by myself another time at about one o'clock we went into a public house where we had something to eat and drink and rested for two or three hours then we set out on our wanderings again and at about seven o'clock in the evening we came to a halt in st giles where old death gave me money to enter a penny theatre i had not practised my hand at stealing anything all day long because he had not instructed me to do so neither from that moment did he ever put my abilities in that way to the test in his presence so i suppose that the little affair in st paul's churchyard was merely an experiment made to enable him to judge whether i had any talent in the art of conveyancing or not in fact he had tried me to ascertain whether i could be made useful and finding that i could his object was now to introduce me to scenes and places where my morals might become confirmed in iniquity or where there was a sphere for the exercise of my abilities i need not therefore dwell on this part of my story for in a few days the use which old death calculated to make of me was fully explained i was to thieve where i could and when i could and every evening i was to meet my employer at some place that he would appoint and hand him over the article so stolen when he was to give me enough money for the following day's expenses i was moreover charged to enlist in the same service as many boys as i could and now for the first time i learnt that my hitherto unknown protector was named mr benjamin jones and my companion soon informed me that he was a famous fence usually bearing the denomination of old death 
i must not forget to state that my employer counselled me never to allude to him in any manner unless it was in the way of enlistment as just now mentioned he said it will perhaps happen jacob that a constable or a bow street runner may catch hold of you sometimes but do not breathe a word about me and i will always get you out of the scrape if on the other hand you confess that you are employed by me or that you are in my service it will do you no good and i should cast you off for ever indeed i should leave you to rot in prison whereas hold your tongue whatever may happen and you will find me your best friend i promised to obey him and now behold me at the tender age of nine the companion of the worst juvenile pickpockets and a pickpocket myself no link had we to bind us to society the world was our harvest field in which we considered that we had a right to glean and whenever a member of our fraternity got into trouble we clubbed together to maintain him well in prison if he was condemned to punishment he and ourselves looked upon it as a piece of bad luck and that was all i found that my companions were as reckless and improvident as could be ever fulfilling the old adage light come light go they used to play at pitch and toss or skittles the stakes varying according to their means at the moment from a halfpenny to a sovereign i was not often enabled to join in these sports because old death kept me rather short and he had obtained such an astonishing influence over me that i dared not attempt to deceive him sometimes i thought of appropriating a portion of a day's work for my own private use but his image haunted me like a ghost and i could not do it he constantly told me that he had the means of ascertaining every robbery that was committed and who perpetrated it and that if i attempted to play him any tricks i should be sure to be found out i believed him for he occasionally gave me proofs of the most extraordinary knowledge of all that was passing he would say for instance your friend such a one filched a snuff-box and a pocket-book yesterday in regent street he gave his employer the book and pawned the box on his own account now mark me old death would add that boy will get into trouble soon and no one will help him out of it again and this prophecy would come true i was therefore alarmed at the mere idea of deceiving old death or rather attempting to deceive him and though my companions often jeered and urged me to set up on my own account i lacked the moral courage to break with mr benderman bones i was very expert in the art of pickpocketing and seldom had to disappoint old death when i met him in the evening if i did he gave me my money all the same i suppose i was too useful to him to be lost and perhaps he knew that i always did my best he allowed me three shillings and sixpence for each day's expenses and this money was usually laid out in the way i will now explain breakfast pint of coffee two pence loaf of bread two pence butter a penny for a total of five pence dinner beef three pence potatoes one penny bread one penny beer two pence for a total of seven pence tea half pint of tea one and a half pence toast three pence for a total of four and a half pence supper leg of beef three pence bread one penny potatoes one penny and beer two pence for a total of seven gin and water one shilling bed four pence for a total of one shilling four pence 
and this came to a total of three shillings three and a half pence leaving me two and a half pence a day for any casual expense this allowance of three shillings sixpence may perhaps seem rather liberal but it was seldom that my earnings during the day were not of sufficient value to produce old death at least fifteen or twenty shillings and often a great deal more there are various grades or classes of juvenile thieves note thirteen the most aristocratic amongst them are those who have been admitted to the fraternity of swell moabites or who have taken a hand in housebreaking the next class on the descending scale is the pickpocket who dives only for purses watches pocket-books or snuff-boxes but who would scorn to touch a handkerchief the third section consists of those who dive for anything they can get and whose chief game does consist of handkerchiefs the fourth division comprises shop-sneaks and area-sneaks the former enter a shop slyly or crawl in on their hands and knees to rob the tills the latter get down area steps and enter kitchens whence they walk off with anything they can lay their hands on this same section also includes the shop bouncer who boldly enters a shop and while affecting to bargain for goods purloins some article easily abstracted the fifth division is made up of thieves who prowl about shop doors or who break the glass in shop windows to abstract the goods or who rob mercers by introducing a bent wire through the holes of the shutter bolts and draw out lace silk or ribbons the sixth and last division or grade consists of the very lowest description of thieves such as pudding snammers who loiter about cook's shops and when customers are issuing forth with plates of meat and pudding or pudding alone as is often the case pounce on the edibles and run away with them before the persons robbed have even time to recover from their astonishment these miserable thieves sell all they cannot eat to other boys and thus manage to get a few halfpence to pay for a lodging i mention all these circumstances to you sir because i do not believe that you can have ever found yourself in a position to have seen what i am now relating note fourteen on one occasion a certain robbery in which i was concerned made some noise and the bow street runners got a pretty accurate description of me this i learnt from old death who advised me to go up into the holy land which i need scarcely tell you is st giles and remain quiet there for a few days until the thing was pretty well blown over i followed this advice which was very welcome to me because mr bones gave me plenty of money to make myself comfortable and i was not expected to do any work for at least a week i happened to take up my quarters at a lodging-house in lawrence lane and found it chiefly used by the very lowest irish never did i see such a set as they were filth misery and drunkenness were familiar enough to me heaven knows but there i saw such filth so much misery and yet such constant and such horrible drunkenness that i was perfectly shocked and it required something strong to shock me mr rainford the house was a brothel and the daughters of the man who kept it were their own father's best customers the most dreadful debauchery prevailed there old women used to bring young boys and old men young girls mere children to that beastly stew i have seen a dozen men and women all dancing together stark naked in the largest room in that house and some of them brothers and sisters note fifteen on another occasion i saw an irish wake in the same place the corpse which was that of a prostitute was laid upon the floor with candles placed around it and the friends and relatives of the deceased woman all got so awfully drunk that they commenced a dreadful battle 
tumbling about in all directions over the dead body i stayed at this lodging-house in st giles about a week and never went out except of an evening for about an hour when i looked in at milbury's the flash public-house in lawrence lane were you ever there sir no well it is worth your while just to give a look in any time you are passing the public room is fitted up with fine tables and high back partitions fronting the door is a large black board whereon the following inscription may be read my pipe i can't afford to give if by my trade i wish to live my liquor's proof my measure's just excuse me sir i cannot trust to prevent mistakes all liquors to be paid for on delivery as soon as the little affair which had driven me up to st giles was blown over i returned to my old haunts and fell in again with my old companions i was now ten years old and was considered so cunning and clever that old death began to employ me in other ways besides thieving if he required to know anything concerning a particular party he would set me to dog and watch him or to make inquiries about him sometimes i was sent to the flash public-houses frequented by gentlemen's servants who were accustomed to arrange with the cracksmen for burglaries in their masters houses or put up cracks as they are called these public-houses are principally at the west end the most famous are in duke street manchester square and portland street there i got into conversation with the servants or merely acted the part of a listener and all the information i could glean was of course conveyed to mr bones who no doubt knew how to turn it to his greatest advantage i was also a visitor to every flash house in london at different times and on various errands for old death the more his business increased the more necessary did i become to him and at that period he was not so near and stingy as he since became whenever i succeeded in any difficult undertaking he would reward me with something like liberality and i don't know whether i actually liked him but it is certain that he exercised an immense power over my mind i was in my turn much looked up to by my companions they considered me old death's lieutenant and moreover i was so skilful as a pickpocket that no one could excel and few equal me i had all the qualifications necessary for the art a light tread a delicate sense of touch and firm nerves for i was then strong and healthy now i am sickly wasted and have within me the seeds of an incurable malady i used at that time to wear shoes of a very light make as indeed do nearly all professional pickpockets it is very easy for one who is anything of an acute observer to recognize juvenile pickpockets in the street their countenances wear an affected determination of purpose and they always seem to be walking forward as if bent on some urgent object of business they never stop in the street save to work if they wish to confer with their pals or if they meet a friend they dive into some low public house or court or alley a knowing pickpocket never loiters about in the street because that is the very first thing that draws suspicious glances towards lads i have read and how i came to be able to read i shall presently tell you in the newspapers that many people have a notion that pickpockets use instruments in easing gentlemen or ladies of their purses or other articles of value but the only instrument i ever knew a pickpocket to use or used myself is a good pair of small scissors which will either rip a pocket up or cut it off in a twinkling i do believe that london thieves note sixteen are the very worst in the whole world 
their profligacy commences so early and there is everything to harden them imprisonment raises them into heroes amongst their companions only fancy a boy of twelve or thirteen perhaps or even younger placed behind huge massive bars which ten elephants could not pull down he of course thinks that he must be a very clever fellow or at least a very important one that the law is compelled to adopt such wonderful precautions to restrain him he believes that society must entertain a marvellous dread of his abilities that boy too is the superior in the eyes of the whole fraternity of thieves whose punishment is the heaviest a lad who had been tried at the old bailey thinks much more of himself than one who has only passed through the ordeal of the sessions the very pomp of justice the idea that all those judges and barristers in their gowns and wigs should be assembled for the sake of a boy that the old bailey street should be crowded with policemen that newspaper reporters should be anxious to take notes that spectators should pay shillings to obtain sittings in the court in a word the whole ceremony and circumstance of the criminal tribunals actually tend to imbue juvenile thieves with a feeling of self-importance now might not this very feeling be acted upon to a good and beneficial purpose to the advancement of industry and honest emulation i think so but society never seems to adopt really useful measures to reform it contents itself with punishing you may be surprised to hear such reflections come from my lips but who is better able to judge than one who has passed through the entire ordeal here jacob paused and then inquired if he were wearying tom rain with his narrative so far from your doing so my good fellow replied the highwayman that although i have several things to attend to i mean to stop and hear you to the end come drink a glass of wine there now you will be the better able to proceed i will light another cigar for i fancy that i can attend more earnestly while smoking rainford once more settled himself in a comfortable posture and the lad pursued his narrative in the following manner note twelve although our aim is to render the history of jacob smith a regular and connected narrative of the initiation of a neglected child in the ways of vice and the career of crime there are necessarily many phases in the history of juvenile iniquity which cannot be introduced into the text as it would be impossible that the boy who is telling his story could have gone through all the scenes alluded to we must therefore farther illustrate our aim by means of a few notes derived from authentic sources and this course we are the more inclined to pursue inasmuch as we hope that the episode formed by the history of jacob smith may have the effect of directing public attention more seriously than ever to the awful nature and extent of juvenile depravity in this metropolis mr miles in his report to the house of lords on poverty mendicity and crime places on record the following observations the women and the girls in these districts live with their men as long as they can agree together or until one or the other be imprisoned or transported the very children are prostitutes living with their fancy lads and it is difficult to say which are the most degraded the men or the women the girls or the boys it is thus that i suppose crime is more engendered in low neighbourhoods where the poorest and the most idle congregate and i now beg to continue my remarks upon the second head namely the neglect of parents the various pursuits of these parents call them from home during the greater portion of the day and their children are left to play and idle in the streets associating with other lads of more experience than themselves until seeing and hearing how easy it is to steal they commence their career of crime unchecked on the one hand and applauded on the other 
there are some parents who turn their children out every morning to provide for themselves not caring by what means they procure a subsistence so that the expense of feeding them does not abstract from their means of procuring gin or beer other parents require their children to bring home a specified sum every night to obtain which they must beg or thieve others hire out their children to beggars for three pence a day a cripple is considered worth sixpence and many women hire children in arms about the same age to pass them off in the public thoroughfares as twins groups of these young neglected vagabonds herd together and theft becomes their study even if a child was well disposed it is not probable that he could escape the contagion of such bad example there is a community of children who live and are separated from persons more advanced in years moreover there is so rapid and so certain a communication among them all over the metropolis that if they discover any of their slang or flash words to be known out of their circle they will substitute another which in the course of a day or two will be adopted by the fraternity there are lodging-houses exclusively for their accommodation public-houses which are chiefly supported by their custom and the landlords of both sorts of establishments are ever ready to purchase any plunder they may bring with this neglect of parents on the one hand and the faculties to crime on the other hand can it be expected that these children can resist temptation the wonder would be if a boy was honest my conclusion therefore is that the neglect of parents in these low neighbourhoods renders them nurseries of crime the number of boys in london who live by plunder is very very considerable and thus society is maintaining them at a great expense either in the shape of prison expenses or by the value of the property they steal especially when it is considered that the receivers never give one quarter the value and there is not a boy thief who on the average does not expend five shillings per diem note thirteen in the first series of the mysteries of london volume two chapter one hundred ninety three there is a detailed account of an association denominated the forty thieves soon after the weekly number containing that chapter appeared we were inundated with letters chiefly expressing unqualified disbelief of the astonishing particulars recorded in respect to the forty thieves we answered all those which contained the real names and addresses of the writers assuring them that the details related were strictly true and that we actually possessed a printed copy of the regulations by which the forty thieves were governed still most of our correspondents were sceptical it was therefore with a feeling almost bordering on satisfaction that we saw in the morning chronicle a few weeks ago a report of a police case in which the prisoner who figured before the magistrate was described as belonging to an association denominated the forty thieves and whose headquarters were in the mint southwark we take this opportunity of assuring our readers that of what they find recorded in the mysteries of london far far more is based on fact than they might at first suspect note fourteen mr miles in his report from which we have previously quoted says in considering the subject of juvenile delinquency it is requisite to take into account the various causes which compel them to be vicious and though we must condemn still we must regret that no efficient means have been adopted to prevent this lamentable evil young thieves have often confessed to me that their first attempts at stealing commenced at apple stalls and that having acquired confidence by a few successful adventures they have gradually progressed in crime allured by others and in their turn alluring they find companions to cheer them and instruct them girls to share their booty and applaud them 
and every facility to sell their daily booty there is moreover a kind of lottery adventure in each day's life and as these excitements are attainable at so easy a rate is it strange that these children are fascinated with and abandon themselves to crime imprisonment to a young urchin who steals and has no other means of subsistence is no punishment for it is indifferent to him where he exists so long as he has food and raiment it is in prison that boys form acquaintances more mischievous than themselves many lads have owned to me that they had learned more in jail than out of one i once asked a lad if there was any school where boys were taught to pick pockets upon which he significantly observed no occasion for one sir the best school for that sort of thing is here alluding to the prison in which i saw him note fifteen we cannot allow the readers to attribute to our imagination a fact so disgusting as this we receive the information from a police officer who was an eye-witness of such a scene and from whom as stated in a previous note in the series we have gleaned many remarkable facts relative to the lowest orders note sixteen mr miles report says london thieves have no sense of moral degradation they are corrupt to the core they are strangers to virtue and character even by name for many of them are the children of thieves or of exceedingly dissolute people consequently they can have no contrition they are in a state of predatory existence without any knowledge of social duty they may lament detection because it is an inconvenience but they will not repent their crime in jail they will ponder on the past curse their evil stars and look forward with anxiety to the moment of their release but their minds and habits are not constituted for repentance mr chesterton of the house of correction informed me that he considers reformation among juvenile offenders to be utterly hopeless he observed that boys brought up in a low neighbourhood have no chance of being honest because on leaving a jail they return to their old haunts and follow the example of their parents or associates lieutenant tracy of the westminster bridewell has pointed out to me lads who live constantly in jails captain kincaid of the city bridewell informed me that one half of the number under his lock on the day that i inspected the prison june the ninth had been more than once committed many of them several times especially the boys mr teague of the giltspur street compter is of opinion that young thieves are mostly incorrigible that nothing will reform them an opinion which he says he has formed from the experience of many years mr capper of the home office stated in his evidence that out of three hundred juvenile convicts on board the hulk euryalus the eldest of whom was not seventeen one hundred thirty-three had been committed more than once and an experienced burglar told me that young thieves cannot and will not reform the only thing sir he remarked that may save them is transportation as it removes them from evil companions the young thief is a nucleus of mischief a young pickpocket named stuart aged thirteen informed me that his parents daily sent him into the streets to look about that is to plunder whatever he could lay his hands upon that his principal associates were three young thieves with whom he worked or robbed that when he was ten years old he stood at a horse's head while his companion stole a great coat from the gig that he got sixpence for his share of the plunder that he had committed many robberies because he was made to do it and that he lived entirely by plunder mr chesterton states in his evidence before the select committee of the house of commons in answer to query four seventy four 
some of the parents lead their children into evil courses it is no uncommon thing when we are listening to the conversation between the prisoners and their parents to hear a conversation that shows at once the boy's situation but the old thieves are in the habit of bringing in with them young inexperienced lads whenever the elder thieves are recommitted they are frequently recommitted with another he also observes five hundred twenty two that the elder thieves are continually corrupting young lads and bringing them into prison i am informed that the captain brenton considers the total number of juvenile offenders within the bills of mortality to be twelve thousand dr lushington i believe computed the number still higher and from the evidence above quoted it is evident that each elder offender is daily spreading the mischief far and wide there is a youthful population in the metropolis devoted to crime trained to it from infancy adhering to it from education and circumstances whose connections prevent the possibility of reformation and whom no punishment can deter a race sui generis different from the rest of society not only in thoughts habits and manners but even in appearance possessing moreover a language exclusively their own there are lodging-houses kept by old thieves where juvenile offenders herd together and their constant intercourse tends to complete corruption it is in these hotbeds of vice that they revel in the fruits of their plunder and though extremely young they live with girls indulging in every kind of debauchery End of section thirty nine read by Celine Major.